think I'm on. Here we go. Um, can we please put our hands together for the worship team? Because it's, um, it's a big thing. It's really good. And um, gosh, that guy leading worship, he was amazing. Uh, where is he? I've got a word for him somewhere. <laughs> Left the building. Um, hi, I'm Ross. I am an elder here. I'm what we call a relational elder. So I don't go to boards and things like that. I don't get, don't get stuck in that stuff. And God has just freed me up to be able to just love people and love him, which is a really beautiful privilege. I'm also a, a truck driver. Um, so I'm away for many, 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 many hours each week driving uh, on my own, which was a complete rescue for me, time with God, time out and alone. And the beautiful things that he has given me there, I never saw that coming when all that first started. Um, so this morning my message is called, well, it could have a few names. I've given it a couple of titles. It could be, I mean, I'm calling it The Secret Place but you could also call it God of the headlines and the hidden, you know, the, the public and the private. Um, I've always really been captivated by the story. I don't, I don't know whether it's true or not, but there's a story of an older gentleman who was dying and he planted bulbs in their garden to be seen from the second story in the shape of the words, I love you, to come out in the spring after he was gone for his wife. And it's, it's a real, uh, we love that stuff. <laughs> you kind of go, <gasps> right there. Um, I love that story. I love it when um, history rethinks one of its villains or one of its dubious types, you know, where they've been sort of categorised by one act or one season of their life and they're re-examined and we kind of go, ah, oh, there was a lot more to that person than that. Um, I really love it when beautiful stuff emerges about somebody when they're gone or when they've died or when they've left us. Um, I've recently just been watching a beautiful story about Vivian Meyer, who was uh, between 19... She was a nanny in Chicago, and between 1950 and 2009 when she died, she took 150,000 photographs on the street as she looked after the children and towed them around the city and films and never showed them to one person. In matter of fact, people who knew her closely never even knew, never saw one of those photographs. She always had a camera with her, but she showed them to no one that they were discovered after she died in, 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 in a deceased estate. And the guy, one guy bought one case, realised what he kind of had that this was quite incredible went round and found everybody else who bought all the other photographs there were 2,000 undeveloped rolls of black and white film 750 rolls of undeveloped colour film and you go what about that all that sitting there for no one to see it's kind of tragic but it's also kind of beautiful um, just recently with the passing of my own mother um, we just not long before we had her funeral, we were going through her fairly meagre possessions and we came across a little cloth bag that ended up being full of all the letters that her children had ever written her. And we just kind of went, <laughs> look at this. You know, it's like um, tons of ordinary stuff just hidden, treasured and now deeply meaningful, you know. 
words that we don't even remember writing, um, sitting there, hidden, all this time, uh, unseen. And here we were with our hearts skipping beats, you know, as we realised the significance of the find. Um, we, as a race, as a people, we find ourselves perpetually fascinated by treasure discovered or treasure hunts. You know, the depths we'll go to to find a sunken wreck, um, a significant thing. You know, people in, in France and around Europe are always finding hidden arms caches or things like that. It was behind the fireplace the whole time. There it was in the kitchen the whole time. It was in the cellar that whole time. Look at these amazing things here, preserved or just not seen for so long. That's one thing. I want to bring two things together. That's one thing I really have been captivated, this, the hidden but I've also been deeply fascinated long-term uh, with the Bible, about the Bible being so full of paradoxes. Now, paradox is two seemingly irreconcilable truths. How do you put that and that together? You know, it comes out in our oxymorons, peace, force, you know, virgin, mother. You know, these are, how do these things go together? Um, and, and as, you, as you track down through verses, there's heaps of them. You know, I have come that you may have life in all its fullness versus you must die to yourself. How do you put that together? In Christ you are free, but I am also a slave to Christ. And you're like, um, I lack for nothing, and yet versus sell all you have and give it to the poor. Yeah? Um, he healed them of all their diseases but then he also says, count all suffering as joy. You know, and you kind of go, you know, it's like at a word, 10 legions of angels will be at my side. You know, and you go, that's impressive. But then you also read, and he avoided Galilee because he knew they were going to kill him. And it's like, it's like we're listening to two different people here. Um, and it can feel a bit schizophrenic and it can feel a bit hip hypocritical. And I, th I, I just want to, it's why I love these things because I think if we can understand the paradoxes of what's going on in the teachings of Jesus and in the way and the heart of God, we, we're easily, otherwise if we don't understand that, we are easily accused of being hypocrites. You do this and yet it says this and no one's better at keeping us to that account than non-believers. Um, when I'm weak, I'm strong. What? You know, the greatest among you must be your servant. You know, it, it's this paradox. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life will find it. And I found this really cracker little passage, which I've never seen before, sitting here in Corinthians 6. It's, it's, it's lovely. It says, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, you know, as punished and yet we're not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet we possess everything. Yeah? Uh, and, and at Proverbs 26, these are two verses apart here. Two verses apart. This is the first verse. Answer not a fool, answer not a fool, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And in the very next verse, answer a fool, <laughs> according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you're going to, one, two, <laughs> how, do they, <laughs> how do they come together? You know, I didn't come to judge the world. And then later on in the same book, 
the judgment I've come into this world. John, you know, and, and on and on it goes. The way is hard that leads to life versus my yoke is easy and light. Even every time we've ever sung the hymn Amazing Grace, there's this massive paradox in there. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but grace my fears relieved. It's going in both directions here. And you're like, well, which is it? You know, um, it's beautiful. I think here we are in the age of reason. We're still there. And we want answers. We want A, B, C, or D, you know. But the longer I spend with God, the more I walk with him, I find he's the God of the all of the above. And even an E and an F and a G, you know. It's all of them. And we're kind of going, how does this happen? Which brings me to my point. Um, And I want to drill down into this thing of go tell the whole world of my kingdom and my gospel versus go show yourself to the priest and tell no one. A leper healed in Luke 5. Yeah, Go and tell everyone. Go to here and don't tell a soul. Yeah. Matthew 6, verse 5 to 6. This is the preamble to the Lord's Prayer. Um, beautiful stuff here. Jesus is saying, so when you pray, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, even on the street corners, to be seen by men. Yeah? Truly I tell you, which means, truly I tell you, they already have their full reward. They've got everything they're ever going to get. This is it for them. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Go deep inside your house. Don't stay out in the lounge or even the kitchen or the dining area. Certainly not on the front veranda. Go into an inner room. Go into the storeroom in the shed. Go into the, underneath the house. Go out of sight and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Probably the most well-kept, the most beautiful hidden treasure in the entire universe. Our Father is not seen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, It seems to me that at times and in certain situations we need a different approach. It's it's not just always do this and that'll work because, because that's how denominations start. It's like, those people over there, they don't do that. Not, not you, Ryan. These, those people over there don't do that. So we see the shortcomings of that and all of us over here, we're always going to make sure we don't not do that. You know? and, and it's just sort of, and we group together and then we, we make a trajectory for ourselves that we somehow just hold to, you know, just because somebody else has forgotten. Um, different times we need different approaches it's sure go tell the world go tell the whole world but at other times please shut up (laughs) I wasn't looking at you Chris (laughs) stop showing off you know and I don't bring this message because this congregation is full of people who talk all the time or show off all the time um, I want us to hold these truths and it, it's, it's an opposing thing. 
hold these two things in our hands and turn them to the light of the world, you know, so that we understand what Papa means when he seems to contradict himself. When somebody else is passionate about this, but somebody else is passionate about this, neither is wrong. We get hooked onto one thing. That's the approach to the poor. No, no, this is the approach to justice. No, this is the approach to worship. You know, and, and they're, all, they're all right. You know, they're just, God has given us, each of us, very, very different things. And, and to understand that it is often folly to just do what we did last time or to do what everyone else is doing. Yeah? Um, so, I, I've often travelled... It's one of my favourite things to do. I don't do it so much now that I'm older because the, the risk to my body, it, it's, <laughs> it's growing exponentially. But I used to love crossing deserts, um, mostly on my own. I've shared it a lot with others lately. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to go. Um, I've been into many remote places and at times just straight across um, where there are no roads, just take a bearing and, and, and go for it. Sometimes to potter, sometimes flat out, most on a, on a motorbike. Um, and in these places, part of the wonder of being there, especially in this country, it's not quite as possible in some other countries because they're so inhabited, um, but it is quite possible in some of those places to find yourself in a place where nobody else has been. Not another soul has ever been. And so... It's many, many times I've come across a ravine or I've simply climbed to the rise behind my campsite and there before me is the most incomprehensibly beautiful um, vista. Just sitting out there, um, or sunrise, you know, or day, you know. You realise every single time we look at the sky, it's completely different. It's the, you've never seen it before like that. Every time we look at every single sunrise is completely different to the next and to the previous. They're all fresh and brand new. No eye has seen it at all. And, and, and I'm out there and I find that no one has seen it and nobody is looking at it with me. It's just for me. Just staggering. It's beautiful. And when I travel away, that entire vista, that entire beautiful place will remain there for nobody to see. And if you get down your hands and knees in these places, it's beautiful and it's intricate, the colours that are down there and the, the creatures that are down there, you know, and the textures and the little worlds and symbiont universes that are down there. When you go and you look and you spend the, the tiny tracks in the sand, the little... the, the the machinery and the workings of these little creatures living there in the sand or in the dirt or in the mud or, or wherever is, is its own little beautiful universe that nobody's watching. And that it's all happening right there. I love, I love that. It's such an extraordinary secret. And the globe and the world and the depths of the ocean and the reaches of every galaxy, let alone the inner microscopic realms, are, are just filled with the wonder and the beauty of the unseen and the rarely comprehended. Um, and I've learned over time, I think that's what I want to share with you, is that God is really actually a lot more comfortable with hidden glories than we are. I think he's a lot less into fame and being filmed than we are. Um, and I, I wonder, 
at his heart as we tear it all apart and subject these poetic beauties and these hidden realms to the harsh scrutiny of logic or reason or documentary or science, you know, where we, we pull it all apart and we examine it down to its building blocks. I, I came across a quote really which recently, which it's kind of what kick-started this message for me. I went, <gasps> landed in my heart, my heart like a bit of a bomb actually. It's really, really simple and this guy was kind of going somewhere else with it and his, his conclusion is a bit different than mine. Um, but it was just simply this. Travel and tell no one. Live a true love story and tell no one. Yeah. Live happily and don't tell anybody. I thought, wow. See, it's such a challenge to me because I'm quite naturally a talker and a show-off. You know? So the God has been training me in, in this, away from this, for a long time. I never even knew I could be alone for such massive periods of time. Um, but this guy has come to the conclusion, he, his last line is, for people ruin beautiful things. And it is partly true, but that's not why I'm bringing it to you. This dovetails in with another saying that I've recently been, has been a lot more central to my consciousness, and that is the, the quote, when an old person dies, a library burns to the ground. I love that because I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, since I was a boy, when I learned about the First World War, my heart broke because even at the ages of 18 or 19, when all those young men and people died, even by the age of 19, you have acquired so much there's so much you have learnt and dreamt for and fought for and tried for and failed for and found, you know. There's so much already at the age of 19 or 20. So much already happened, has happened there that that loss, not even just the potential, but everything that has already been found and worked through and established in that 19 to 20-year-old is exquisite and vast already, let alone across the reaches of a long, beautiful life. Um, from a certain angle, I actually, I actually really love this getting older thing. I'm sort of nudging up towards 60, just to give you a bit of a reference. Because it, I'm finding, because as you get older, the world wants to hear from you less and less. And you get sort of sidelined more and more, but it bothers you less and less. <laughs> and you get pushed to the margins unsought, at times not even seen, uh, even unvalued or thought of as irrelevant or even a fool. This is what happens. And you start get called, getting called dull a lot at checkouts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you kind of know you're like, first time it happened, like, really? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> but and, and so you start to be less seen, less heard and less known. And, and in fact, what you're becoming is a walking secret, a moving mystery, a lost treasure as you get older. You are part of the garden that nobody goes anymore. And slowly you begin to drift towards a place of, weirdly, more full reward. 
mournful reward. And I love that. Because with, with that, the consequence of being in a lonely part of the garden, a quiet part of the garden, comes all these other whispers and gifts and insights and wisdom. So, why would God at times want us to hide things? Go into all the world and tell everybody. Why would we value, why would he value this approach sometimes? Why would he entrust us to do this when the Christianity we've been handed often seems to say, go into all the world and talk your head off until you are so irritating they want to kill you. That seems to be our, you know, this, we think this is the truest of, a form of evangelism and in ways it is because the gospel is inherently a spoken thing. Yes, you can live it out, but it is carried verbally, which is why I love the language and communication is a beautiful thing to have. Uh, how will they hear if no one tells them? It is carried verbally. Um, there's a beautiful quote that is often quoted uh, to Francis of Assisi, which says, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And we kind of like that. Um, but actually, Francis of Assisi himself was an incredibly fiery preacher, a man of very many words. Uh, he would preach four, five, six times a day in various villages, often standing on a bale higher in the doorway of a granary. And it was said of him that when he preached, it was as if his feet danced. He was that animated. He was known as the strange, fiery little preacher from Assisi. You know? And besides, the quote isn't even his. He didn't say it. It's a myth. He never said it. It's really, really convenient for taking pot shots at the talkative amongst us, but we need the talkative amongst us. Yeah. And yet God asks to keep certain things hidden. I'd like to suggest, I'd like to share with you just a few observations of my own about why, why this might be the case. Because apart from working on our humility and pride, which God never seems to let up on, there's some other things. The first one is that I believe um, we need to be primarily drawing from secret wells. Yeah? Francis of Assisi's first biographer, a man called Thomas of Salino, that's not a bad title, I could be Roscoe of Sebastopol, um, he was writing three years after Francis of Assisi died and he quotes Francis of Assisi instructing his co-workers thus. He says, The preacher must first draw from secret prayers. Yeah? What he will later pour out in holy sermons. Yeah? He must first grow hot within before he speaks words that are in and of themselves cold. Yeah? So whenever we're, whenever we're being moved towards a holy conversation you know, or, or a beautiful moment, we need well-warmed words. And that has come out as worms every time I've practised it well-warmed words, you know. had a meeting with a beautiful brother here the other day and before he had his coffee with me, he walked for miles and talked with God about what we would talk about. Now they are well-warmed words because we don't want to meet 
the world with a cold heart or cold words. Beautiful, beautiful insight right there. So can we look for a moment at our man, the leper, whom Jesus is told to go and tell no one? Yeah? Luke 5, 12 to 16. Don't look it up, just listen up. Um, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell face down and begged him. And that's a really different posture. I don't, has anybody here ever had anybody beg them to fall on their feet? Anyone ever had that? I have. And it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. This person kissed my feet. Now that is a really, really different posture to ask him. She was desperate, you know. And um, it doesn't happen in our culture. It didn't happen here in this country. Don't be worried. It's not a weird thing. Um, But he fell face down and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says that Jesus reached out, and we often think it's out there, but it would have been here, right here. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, you know, be clean. Beautiful. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus instructs him, some translations have he ordered him, don't tell anyone. Yeah, but go now, show yourself to the priest, give the offering that Moses said you need to give for this kind of healing, an offering of thanks. And then he says, as a testimony to them, a testimony to them at the, prayer, at the synagogue. This is a testimony to them. Just tell them. Right? But don't tell anybody else. But despite that, the news about Jesus spread all the more and great crowds came along to hear him and to be healed. So Jesus wasn't trying to reduce the media coverage here. There was something else going on in the don't tell everyone. Yeah? Um, they all came to him to be healed of their sickness. And then the last little verse says, and yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And so we've got this pop, pop. At the beginning, don't tell a soul, and then it's retreat to the wilderness, to his secret place. Um, when I used to work in Melbourne, I, uh, I had a job where I moved a lot of cars interstate. Um, and I was there for about three years, but in the last four to six months, um, I, I, I worked... In, in Melbourne, what we would call wharf work. Instead of running cars interstate, I was picking cars up directly from the ships underneath the Westgate Bridge there, you know where all the cars are there, and to the south of it. And um, I did that for probably four to six months. All through the night, it was night shift, and um, it was incredibly noisy. The trucks had to run all the time to power the hydraulics to get all the decks to move. And then there's the Westgate Bridge up here, which is just a racket even at three in the morning. There's a roar of the city that never goes to sleep. There's teams of men talking to each other, yelling at each other and everything like that. And right in the middle of that place, the only toilet block is deep inside an office block where you have to go through three or four doors, a security guard lets you in, and then there's three really well-sealed doors that you have to go through before you're finally at the cubicles. And by the time you get in there, it is the most divine hush. It is... Oh, silent. I mentioned this to my brother two weeks ago who still works for them and he goes into that facility once a week and he's like, I know, right? It's like, it's so quiet in there. It's just beautiful. And I used to, I used to 
head in there when I had wearied of the noise. And as soon as I got into that silence, you know, God would just, right here, right here, I'd often cry, just at God's presence. It was like my secret. It was a secret place for me. Utter, utter silence. And I'm not saying you just got to find, I want encourage us towards secret places, but you don't just have to find silence because God's, I mean, the, here it is, here's another one. I'm in the whisper. I'm in the, thun, in the thunder as well. How's he in both places? You know, and everywhere in between. You know, as we sang and found God here this morning in our worship, that wasn't quiet, was it? You know, and I can find God, God's presence in the babble and beauty of a meal of family and friends, you know. Um, that, as you sit back and watch that. So it's not just about finding silence. Um, it's about there and everywhere in between. We all have our secret places and it's just this encouragement to draw our strength and what we give and what we bring back from these secret places. And it's really, really different for everyone. For some it's a run. I, I don't know how that goes. Um, for others it's walking. That's my kind of thing. Cycling. For some people, driving up alone at night, up early in the dawn, these, these kind of sacred places, you know. Some people find God like nowhere else, just out on a boat, fishing, quilting, listening to the rain. You know, there's a whole range of things that just take us out of the rush and the spin and the madness of life. For me, it's often a nap during the day. I love it in our in our room, there's a beautiful light in the afternoon that comes through our windows. Um, any sunrise, watching children play, the aroma of food cooking, the smell of dirt, you know, wind across fields of grass, water in a creek, cooking for others, a lone instrument, a bagpipe, a violin, or a, or a trumpet, or a bugle. These things call to us, and we are arrested in that moment. And God is often right there. It's really beautiful. Just a lone plane flying across the sky, kneeling by my bed for me, in the shower often for me. Very, very much so. That place of being naked and bathed is really, really sacred ground for me. Walking with him. Hearing the ocean, you know, the roar. Um, and I, and I'm, I just find one of the most simple and beautiful things, though, is just, for me, is just closing my eyes secret place. When I'm in pain, when I'm anxious or when I'm worried, I close my eyes and immediately I'm with Papa. Right here. Right here. He's nowhere else. Right, right here. So simple. So, so simple. Um, the second little observation that I've come out of why God wants to hide things um, is mostly uh, is for our training. It's a really re beautiful thing. It's very, very simple. And I, I've got a quote here from Morgan Snyder's book, Becoming a King. And he says, The narrow way is filled with story after story of God unearthing a man or woman's desire. Prophetic words, anointing, you know, whatever, given a position, and then hiding them. And think of King David, anointed in front of all of Israel, destined for greatness. And then 14 years of hiding in caves with misfits before that came together. Think of Joseph, you know, he was, um, he was told he'd be elevated to a place way above his brothers and be over great things. And then he's thrown into a pit by those brothers 
sold into slavery and it's many years and many years and much hardship before he ascends into his place and his glory. Have you ever had a prophetic word upon your life and then wondered where did that go? You are being trained because it's not just a matter of say it and it is so. It's I say it and now I ready you. And that may take two months or that may take two decades, you know. And I think we miss out on that, you know. We, we, we don't seem to consider that dynamic a lot. But I remind, I speak a lot with other men, coffees and things like that. And it's something I find myself reminding people of again and again and again. It's tough right now. You feel really out, unseen. You really feel taken away. You feel really invisible and insignificant. But you are being trained. Don't give up because the vision is delayed or tarries is the old word, yeah? The third thing, kind of the last thing of why God would um, encourage us to keep things secret. Um, we used to call it in... Um, I was, did a men's ministry for about seven years, me and a couple other guys. Some of you would remember that. I was also involved for a long time in prayer ministry. And in both those places we would call... There are certain things we call keeping it in the hidden. Um, when does a country ask its citizens to zip their lips? When we're at war. And we're born into a war. This is a war down here. This is not a cruise. This is a war. Not on a cruise liner. It's much more like we're on a battleship. Okay? There is war going on around us. Um, and one of the things that we had to encourage people to do because at these retreats and in prayer ministry people get incredibly healed um, and they are set free poof, power stuff that they never thought would change is just gone and they feel fresh and new and crisp and whistle clean yeah and they are keen to tell people about what has just happened and what we always had to do was encourage them and at times coach them sometimes give them the script to remain quiet for a while about it. Um, one of the things we would do was encourage them to let others notice the change. Like, wow, look at you. You used to be so needy, you know. Or, man, if that had happened before, you would have blown your top. Look at what's going on, you know. Let other people notice. It's like, wow, how kind, you know, you, on and on. Think of those things. It's like, you're not doing that anymore. And when you, if, if you let other people notice it and bring it up, it is established in you, usually by then. But if you go out there and talk about it straight away, it is, it's like the eye of the, of the power of darkness turns and goes, we'll see about that. Because in Revelation it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. So if you start testifying too early, that is a weapon of war. And you, 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 you can attract the attention of the evil one who wants to decimate it. You can't have that song playing for too long. You can't have anybody filled with life for too long. We do have an enemy who wants to pull that down. So this thing of keeping it hidden to let it get established is a real a real thing, yeah? We talk about it too quick, it just becomes like a summer romance. It's cute and sweet, short term and gone. 
you know, and I see people way too many times start chatting about what just has happened and weeks later it's all in tatters. I've done it myself. So it's just a, like a little thing there. Um, I want to finish just with a bit of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3. Really, really good. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Because there's this do, don't, speak, don't, know. Paul, rich. Here it is. To everything there is a season. For everything. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There is a time to kill and there is a time to heal. Different language than what we'd use these days, but it's true. There's a time to break down and there's a time to build, rebuild. There is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh. Yeah, There is a time to mourn and there is a time to dance. There is a time to cast away stones and there is a time to gather them back together. And I don't know what on earth that means, but we'll have to trust that there's something in that to scatter and to gather. There's a time to embrace and there is a time to refrain from embracing. Yeah? There's a time to search with all your heart and there is a time to declare something is lost and gone. There is a time to keep and there's a time to discard things. There is a time to tear and there is a time to mend that. There is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. There it is. Yeah. There is a time to love and a time to hate. There are times for war, but there is a time for love. Will you pray with me? Um, Father, you're beautiful. You're always beautiful. You're always right here. You're always actually quite easily found. This call to seek me and you will find. It's not a trick. You don't make yourself hard to find. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are hidden from the world, otherwise we'd be pilgrimaging, going on pilgrimages to where you live and exalting you or assaulting you instead of worshipping you in our hearts. Thank you that you can be everywhere because you are spirit and that you reside in us, the most beautiful and secret thing in all the universe. Jesus, we ask, that you would come and widen and make beautiful these secret places in our hearts, for our hearts, in our lives, that we may deepen in our love and friendship and relationship and adoration of you, beautiful, beautiful you. Oh,
thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you bless us. You heal these places, Father, that you redeem the lost places, the places where we've lost opportunities to be close and intimate with you. Father, would you reveal new places where we can find you, open our eyes to see you and our hearts to feel, to feel, to feel you. In Jesus' name. Cool. Amen. Here we are.